You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, are we wired and ready to roll? I guess, I guess you can hear me. Good morning, Mission Ridge. I um, don't mean to be aloof, but... There's something going on in this carcass of mine that is not good. So I don't want to share it with you. Uh, in fact, when it comes time for communion, I'm going to stay away from the communion table until you have all um, come up. So when we get to communion, I just want to say that we do have an open table, which means that if you're here to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's your Lord and Savior, then you are more than welcome to share with us. Um, When I invite you to come up, you'll come up and you'll grab the elements and take them back to your seats and you'll hold them. But we'll do that at the end of service. I'm just prompting you now since I brought it up. Um, But again, I will stay away from the food, as it were. Uh, Food-like substance. Um until you have had a chance to grab the elements, and then uh, we will partake together. Well, we are starting a two-week series today on the Lord's Prayer, and honestly, I don't think we gave it enough time. We're like, eh, two weeks, what do we want to talk about? Lord's Prayer. It's a couple, couple verses, what could go wrong? Um, there's a lot to unpack in here. In fact, I invite you to listen to footnotes because there'll be more to unpack uh, this, what Jesus does in this short prayer is, is uh, pretty significant. So I'm excited to get into this. I remember being called upon to pray an awful lot about 25 years ago. I was at my Moody Bible Institute, the external studies campus in Spokane. And so the church I was attending, and, the, and uh, even uh, the Air National Guard, my friends in the Guard, I got called upon to pray a lot because I was a Bible student, and they thought somehow that I had been taught how to pray. And the problem is, is I didn't take that class because they didn't offer that class. I, don't, <laughs> I wish they would have. And so I remember it was sweaty palms and probably sweat dripping from my brow and with much fear and trembling, I'd fire off a prayer that sounded an awful lot like the last prayer I heard. Hopefully it had something to do with we were, what we were about ready to do because I had no idea what I was doing. Maybe you could identify in your own prayer life or maybe you could identify with this video clip here. Let's take a look. Hello there. Hi. This is Evan Baxter. Um, Just wanted to say thank you for everything. Thank you for the new car and for the house. The house is great. Um, I love it. I mean, I picked it out, but you created matter and everything. So Um, I just wanted to say that I think Joan makes a good point and 
that I am now in a position of great power, and I know that with great power comes great responsibility. So, God, <clears throat> please help me change the world. Okay, that's it. I'm hanging up now. God bless. Well, you. So, can you identify with that prayer? <laughs> um, you know, I love that Evan starts off with thanking God for his provision. He recognizes him as creator. And there's a lot of great elements to this prayer. I mean, anytime you could bring up uh, a Marvel Comics quote and include it into your prayer, it's going to be a great prayer. <laughs> Let me just say that. Um, he even invites God to help him change the world. And if you ever seen the rest of the movie, that's where things get interesting. Well, here's some statistics of things that we pray for as a Christian community. Now, uh, this is uh, put together by the Barna Institute. They've been operating for about 30 years. They do research on how Christians function in America. So these are the percentage of things that have been prayed for by the people that participated in this survey within the last three months. I love that gratitude and Thanksgiving is at the top. Like you just really can't go wrong if you're thanking God for whatever he's doing. But you got the needs of my family and community, personal guidance, my health and wellness, uh, confession and forgiveness is in there. Uh, things I suddenly feel compelled, urged to pray about. I'm a little curious what that is. But um, so these are the things that we have a tendency to pray for as a Christian community. It is. So I've been following Christ for about 33 years. And, um, and I've, over the years, I've, I've been aware of the Lord's prayers. One of those things that obviously... Um, we talk about from time to time, and uh, I re recited it a few times a year with other people. It seemed like Jesus' prayer, um, but not necessarily my prayer. And then 10 years ago, I was at Pulse Falls Real Life, and they did a series on the Lord's Prayer. It was a lot longer than two weeks, and I should have learned from what they did. But um, at any rate, that prayer became my prayer. And I think what we're going to find out today is that if we're going to be disciple makers, this is our prayer. If we're going to make disciples, if we're going to carry on what Jesus asked us to carry on in Matthew 28, the Lord's prayer is the disciples' prayer. Now, the Lord's prayer comes up in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And the, and the only thing is, is that the disciples already knew how to pray. They already prayed a lot. In the average life of a Jewish young man, he would have two major types of prayer they prayed every day. One is called the Shema, and that's prayed in the morning and in the evening time. And then the Avodah is prayed in the middle at lunchtime. 
So the Shema is made up of uh, three verses or three sections of verses. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. And Numbers 15, 37 through 41. Now they have a book that's called the Siddur that has these verses in the Avodah prayers. And there's other prayers that they pray uh, for various things, but these are the major prayers that they pray on a daily basis. And the Avodah, again, is prayed at lunchtime, and it's possible, and if possible, you prayed it at the temple or the synagogue. If you didn't happen to be close to either one, you could pray at home or or at your work or wherever you had to be, happened to be. And it can be prayed by yourself, but it was preferred to be prayed in what's called a minion, which is a group of 10 or more male Jews above the age of 13 or who have been bar mitzvahed. So these, this regimen of prayer is something that goes back to at least the first century BCE, before Christ, or maybe as far back as 5th century BCE. And so this was part of the everyday training existence of the disciples. They were already praying. And it's quite lengthy to pray this way. Like, I spent, some, I spent a month last year. I picked up a book. I want to have a better understanding of that, of what our messianic, Christ following brethren experience and what are and what the disciples and what Jesus experienced in their lifetime. So I picked up a book by a Messianic Jew and it and it talks about prayer and and uh, it leads you through this regimen of prayer. And in following this on a daily basis for a month, uh, it took takes about an hour of your day. So they're already praying quite a bit. Why is Jesus teaching them to pray? Well, let's start with some context. Let's look at Matthew 5, 1 and 2, and 8, 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them. So that's 5, 1. And 8, 1 says, when Jesus came down from the mountain... Large crowds followed him. And so 5.1 and 8.1 are bookends. They're bookends for the Sermon on the Mount. That's important. And this should remind us of another biblical story where someone goes up on the mountain, they're taught some things, and they come down off the mountain to teach others, which, is, which took place at Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain. He's taught by God. What's it going to look like to be a Jewish follower of God? And Moses comes down from the mountain, and then he teaches the people. He left the crowd. He goes up on the mountain, gets taught, comes down off the mountain, and then he starts teaching. Sermon on the Mount, we get the same picture Jesus is with the crowd. He and his disciples go up on the mountain. Jesus does some teaching. What's it going to look like to be a Christ follower? Was this kingdom 
living going to look like? And then they come off the mountain, and then they start teaching the crowds. And in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer. In the middle of what does it look like to to live for the kingdom is this prayer. So the things that we pull out of this prayer are about kingdom living. The things that Jesus wants to teach his disciples and you and me through his disciples and, and the people that we disciple is this prayer is somehow significant to kingdom living. Now, the sermon itself is structured like a chiasm, and there's more than one chiasm throughout the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to focus on a couple. Um, but let's look at the chiasm slide. So in a chiasm, um, you could have A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Um, in fact, that's the chiasm that one guy suggests for the Sermon on the Mount, and we will cover that in the footnotes and further because it's such a big topic. But a chiasm, you have the bookends, A and A1, and then you have some teaching, and you can have layers of teaching, and we know the Sermon on the Mount has layers of teaching, and then in the middle, you have the treasure. You, get, you have the thing that should be pondered, the thing that should be wrestled with. And so this is how the Sermon on the Mount is structured, and at the center, again, is this prayer. So let's get into the prayer. Matthew 6, 7, and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. In other words, pray with purpose. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before, before you ask Him. Now, Israel had this connection to God and understood their relationship to be like that of a father and son. Jesus, in fact, Jesus calling himself the son of God would not necessarily necessarily give his hearers this picture that he's claiming deity. At least not his Jewish hearers. His Roman hearers, they might hear deity, calling himself the son of God, but the Jews, not, not so much. But in Exodus 4.22, says this, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. So praying to the one who has pursued us, redeemed us, provided love and grace to us, praying to God as Father is something that we should, as a community, embrace. Jesus also says that God knows what we need, which happens to be four of the five top things that as a Christian community at large, we have a tendency to pray about, the things that we need. Is this bad? Is this wrong? I don't think that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. A normal conversation between a father and a child are needs. Right, kids? Yeah. 
like the need to listen. <laughs> um, it's a normal conversation between father and child. But parents, tell me something. How many times can you count on one hand in the last year that your kid revealed something they needed and you had zero idea? Joey's the only one giving me an answer over here. Like as parents, we typically know what our kids need. And how much, if that's true for us, how much more is that true for God? But still, I, th- I think that's a good conversation to be having. It's not that it's a bad conversation. Jesus is going to introduce us to a new conversation. And, and according to the slide we looked earlier, maybe there is a different conversation we need to be having with the Father. And not only that, but as we get older, shouldn't our conversation with our parents, doesn't it change? Like if you're having the same conversation at 40 as you were at five, there might be a meme out there for you. Not that I buy into all those memes. Let me just say that. Jesus continues in Matthew 6. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, did you notice that this is a chiasm too? Because honestly, I hadn't noticed this before until I was looking at this earlier this week. Let's look at the next slide. So the A and A1, they are the bookends. Okay, they're connected. B and B1, that's some teaching, but they are connected in some way, shape, or form. And the treasure in the middle is your kingdom come. This part of the prayer is about God's kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. Now, kingdom is an interesting concept both to the Jew and the Christian. For the Jew, the the disciples, they expected kingdom to come immediately. Like they were expecting Jesus to sit on a throne in Jerusalem that day. That's what they were expecting. And that actually lines up with the way the modern Jew believes. Because they look at Jesus and they go, well, he didn't bring kingdom at least not according to the definition that they have for kingdom. And for the Christian, we do something similar because we say the kingdom's coming when Jesus returns. But what if Jesus meant kingdom now? Maybe when we're praying this about your kingdom coming, maybe it's not about something that's going to happen because we don't like whoever's in position in politics, whether it's today or four years ago. Maybe it doesn't have, maybe that's not, you know, like Christ returning, the Left Behind series. Maybe that's not what, what Jesus is inviting us to be praying for. Jesus, when he started preaching, in Matthew four seventeen, he said, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven 
is at hand. It's nearer than you think. God's kingdom is moving forward today. It should change our world. It should shape Missoula. And what if kingdom living has to do with the other part of the chiasm of your will be done and and your name being holied? What if disciples of Christ bring kingdom when they hollow his name by doing his will? And I don't mean abstract will. What if God wants to move in Missoula today through us? What if God's not done doing miracles? What would that look like? And to help you understand what I mean, I want to go back to the place where God reintroduces himself to Israel through Moses. In Exodus 3, it says this, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Because in their 400 years in Egypt, there was no lack of names for God. They had lots of names for God. So which one are you? Who do I identify? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob have sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. All generations are to know that he is I am. God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If the Israelites were asked to name their God, they might come up with something like the God of yesterday, the God of a long time ago, the God who hasn't shown up in a while. But for Christians, I think our tendency is to think about God of the future, the God who will be, the God that one day will act. God says, you got the wrong view. I am the God of today. I am. And when we take his name, we're asked to holy his name. Now, if we're honest, when we think of holiness, we probably think of purity. Am I right in that? Do we, is that the picture that we get? Well, we get the word holy from the Hebrew word kodesh, which means apartness, holiness, sacredness, separateness. The biblical opposite is from the Hebrew word kol, Not enough lamb, I know, but you get the picture. Uh, It means common, 
ordinary, sometimes translated as profane, but I think common or ordinary are still better definitions. So you got separate and common. In my relationship with my wife, is it Kodesh or Chol? Do I treat my relationship with my wife as separate or as common? And it's not the words that I say that matter, but it's how I actually treat my relationship with her. Or maybe the way I treat my relationship with others. Are you getting the picture? Fine China. Some of us believe fine China is Kodesh. Other of us, it's coal. Like, whatever. It's just fine China, paper plate, it don't matter, right? We teach our kids to treat things as sacred or set apart. Because if we didn't, they would treat everything as their toy. Can I get an amen? My dog, well, my daughter's dog, puts everything into its mouth. He don't care. Everything is common to him. So I don't put my laptop where he can get to it. I don't leave my Bible where he can get to it. Those would be chew toys. So I separate those from him. In Ezekiel, well, let me back up. When we think about the temple... And the elements that are used, they had, they had um, a menorah, and they had plates, and they had utensils, and they were sanctified, they were set apart, they were holy. Were they considered pure? Like, morally pure? Like, they don't act, they, they have no will. They're holy because they're reserved for something unique and special. We reserve these trays for communion. We don't, we don't do anything else with these trays. They're set apart. If when we were done, the kids started using these as floating devices out in the river, I'd be like, whoa, <laughs> what are we doing? Like, I don't think they're the same as what we saw in the temple, but still, like, Let's show some respect, right? In Ezekiel 36, it says this, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord. Somehow, in the way we act... And the way we live together in community, it tells the world who our God is. And church, if we don't do that well, it profanes God's name. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you 
into your own land, and I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. So God says he's going to pursue his people, and he's going to redeem them. He's going to make them clean again. And hasn't he done that in each of us? Hasn't that been our individual experience? But then corporately, we come together, and we have an opportunity to express that to our community. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Our God is like no other. Can I get an amen? Do your actions, do our actions tell our neighbors that our God is like no other? Can people tell that our God is like no other when they look at Mission Ridge Church? Or when they look at my family or they look at your family, can they tell what we believe about our God? And do your your friends, when they see the time that you carve out for God, do they see that time as sanctified, as holy, as separate? Or do they see that time as common based upon your actions? We were given the Holy Spirit to cause us to walk in God's statutes. The Holy Spirit helps us to know what God wants us to do through and around us today, I, I believe wholeheartedly that God still wants to do miracles, even here, even now. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are declaring that we will holy His name through our actions. This is not a passive prayer. This is not us hoping that somehow God's name will be holy through some, someone else's actions. No, this is us saying, this is my intent. My intent is to holy your name. This is our declaration as Christ followers. Now, as a community of believers, we have some core values, I think, speaks to how we hope to holy his name in our community. And I'm going to cover them briefly this morning, but we're going to um, talk about these in depth here in a couple weeks. Authenticity. Uh, these are in your bulletin, by the way, on, on the back page if you want to look at them. Authenticity, vulnerability, and honesty, both as individuals and a corporate body, will be core to our identity. Without vulnerability, growth is handicapped, Trust is lost, and dysfunction is fostered. We are okay with not being okay. In other words, pretending that we're okay is only lying to ourselves. Sacrificial generosity to our community. God's church is meant to be a people of love and good works. We will be generous. We'll serve. We'll sacrifice. We'll love our neighbor well. 
Our generosity of our time, treasures, and talents tells Missoula that our God cares if we live that out together. Unity and diversity. The church is a unity of different members loving each other and working through, working together for a greater purpose. We don't have to think the same in order to pursue God together. And I bet you the people outside those doors won't always agree with us, but they're still invited. We will build a community of people from different perspectives, ethnicities, politics, social and economic standings. Because that's who God is pursuing. He's pursuing the whole world. And family, the primary metaphor for the church in the New Testament is that of family. The entire biblical narrative is relationally driven. God cares about relationships, and so will we. We will fight for relationships over anything else to build healthy community. And I hope that there's any fighting within the church that is for relationship. And we're already trying to figure that out. Guy left our church feeling like he was thrown under the bus. I got to figure out how to bridge that gap. I don't know why he feels like that. I got to ask him. Then roughly right. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but God uses imperfect people. If you look to your right and your left, you'll see them. And aren't they great? I'm glad they're here. Glad you're here. God uses imperfect people who have imperfect methods. Like, we don't... We don't do this perfectly with imperfect theology. I, I remember what I believed 25 years ago. It's migrated some, not a ton, but some. Like, does that discredit 25 years? No, God still used me. People were impacted. People came to Christ. People knew they were loved and cherished by God. But I would argue with myself from 25 years ago pretty heavily. <laughs> I might argue with myself over yesterday. We will make mistakes and get things wrong. We value doing the best we can. We won't allow imperfect, imperfections to pre prevent us from moving forward with God's mission. Again, we'll cover these more in depth in, in a couple weeks. We'll take a week for each one as our vision series. I want to look at the what we pray for slide again, though. Where's the your kingdom come? Statistic. Who is praying for God's kingdom to move forward in the last three months in this survey? It was st statistically net negligible. It wasn't worth reporting the number of people that were praying in that way. Guys, gals, the Lord's prayer is our prayer. It's the prayer of moving the kingdom forward. 
It's the prayer that says, I'm going to figure out what the Sermon on the Mount means. I'm going to figure out what living for the kingdom looks like. I'm going to figure this out. I don't have it figured out today. I didn't have it figured out yesterday. I was praying yesterday. I'm praying today. I'll pray tomorrow. I'm going to figure out what holding God's name looks like. I don't, I don't have it all right. I don't have it all figured out. I'm going to figure out what it looks like to do the will of God. I don't have it all figured out. I, I tried praying about this yesterday. We talked about some things that I felt like I wasn't doing well. I'm praying about it again today. I saw some things I did yesterday that I'm going like, wow, Rob, that was wrong. Whew. And tomorrow I'm going to pray about it again. Our early church fathers, they prayed this three times a day. That was the recommendation. I would encourage you to adopt this prayer. Let the Lord's Prayer be the springboard to a daily conversation about your part in bringing kingdom today. Like, let this prayer be the springboard for a further conversation with the Lord with what does He want to do in us? Did you know it's the first word of this prayer? Our Father, our. As we get further into the prayer next week, we're going to see how communal this prayer is. Like, I'm not just praying about myself, I'm praying for you guys too. Let's pray for each other. Maybe this is the prayer that we pray together at care group. Do we pray about our needs? Absolutely. He's our Father. But let's start with this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am grateful for the opportunity to come together and celebrate what Christ did on the cross. We get to come to the communion table again and just go, Lord, I, don't, I haven't done it all well this week, but thank you for receiving me just the way I am. So I invite you to come and grab the elements and take them back to your seat. I think about how simple this is. So simple that a child can take part in this. This is bread without yeast. I don't even think they use salt. Maybe a little salt would help, but who knows. But simple. This, God wants access to him to be simple. I don't know what you face this week, face this week that tells you that this needs to be complicated, but doesn't. I'd encourage you to just remember Jesus simply saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then the cup after supper. He said, this is new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, I'm so grateful for the salvation that you have brought us. Lord, um, I know that when you invite us to pray, you're really inviting us into a deeper connection with the Father, just like you experienced. 
Thank you for that great invitation. I pray, Lord, that this prayer will become our prayer as a community of believers. That it wouldn't be just words that we recited, but be a conversation that is rich and full of nuance. And Lord, life-altering. Will you be glorified in us? May your name be hollowed, separated, celebrated because of the life that we choose to live together. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to do one more worship song. Will you join us? Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.